Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, if you live in Northwest Arkansas and you're looking for a church home, we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. for worship. We have a Sunday school hour that begins at 9.30 where we're spending our time walking through the Gospel Project curriculum. We'd love to connect with you there, but if you have questions about our church, visit our website at calvaryfedville.com or email us at info at calvaryfedville.com. Now, if you'd like to talk to someone, you can call and leave a message at 479-442-4634. Now, in today's podcast, I have the opportunity to share again from the book of Revelation. We're looking at the seven churches of Revelation And we are in church number four, the church at Thyatira. So let's listen together. Let me invite you to take your Bible and and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 29. And if you don't have a Bible, of course, in the pew rack, there should be one of those Bibles. And that's page 1029. Um, We're on the same page that we were last time. Uh, But you may notice I have paper with me. I got here and my Bible wasn't charged up. Those are statements you never thought you'd say, but um, I thought, well, I'll make sure I've I've got it. So I printed out my message this morning. Normally I'm operating off my iPad. So if you see pages fly around, that's, that's what's going on. You know, with Pastor Kirk under the weather, it's a perfect time for us to look again at the next church in the seven churches of Revelation. This is church number four, and I'm excited. I mean... Who knows? I might finish this sooner rather than later. And so I'm, I'm excited about this as we look at the church at Thyatira. Um, now, I will say, uh, and share with you, when Pastor Kirk and I were talking about this earlier in the week, wasn't quite sure what Sunday was going to look like, and I thought, okay, well, I'll put together the framework of this next message And so I got a call, or a text rather, on Friday morning, and he said, well, I think think you're going to go ahead and preach this Sunday. And I thought, oh, okay, that's great. I had to head down to homecoming. We had a a fun weekend at CBC's homecoming, a very busy weekend. Um, And so here we are, Sunday morning, looking at God's Word together. And I want us to understand this truth that um, we need to persevere during the difficult times. And that's what we're going to be looking at. As I stated last week, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 are passages that deal honestly with the subject of church revitalization. If you're interested in reading on how these chapters deal specifically with that topic, I recommend Dr. Tom Cheney's book, The Seven Pillars of Church Revitalization. It's a small little book. Um, Dr. Cheney is prolific, I believe is the right word. He writes and he says, I write like water. And he has like 30-something books that he's completed on the subject. He's just a fountain of wisdom on those things. But in these two chapters of Revelation, the churches are praised, they're condemned, and they're encouraged to change. We're going to get to that kind of formula as we look at these in just a few moments. But the great need for awareness of church revitalization is modeled as Jesus points out both the highs and the lows of each one of these churches. As we spend time in Revelation chapter 2 and and 3, and we look at these messages to the churches, we've got to understand, this is Jesus' words. As Jesus gave a vision to John, John recorded those things, 
And this is a message. Now, as you look at the beginning of each passage, it actually says to the angel of the church in Ephesus. That word is, could be messenger. And so we refer to that often as the messenger on, on point there. It's the preacher. It's the person who is sharing God's message with the people. But before we get into today's message, let's kind of go back over those things that we've already learned. The first church that Jesus addressed, the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, was the church at Ephesus. And we hit that message right before we got into a series on Ephesians, as Paul was writing the book of Ephesians. Um, but there we learned that Jesus shared that the church needed to return to its first love. There were good things that they'd been doing, but to fix where they were at, they needed to point their hearts toward Jesus. So we found out this truth. A revitalized church is a church that loves God wholeheartedly, uh, loves God completely. So if we are going to be a revitalized church, God wants us to love him completely. I think that that's at the heartbeat of who we are as believers. You could ask any of the students over the years, basically um, for the nine years I was at Temple, uh, our students here haven't heard me speak about this as much. But there is this concept, we're to love God, we're to love people, and we're to make disciples. That's at the heartbeat of who I am. And you find that first message here as you look at the church in Ephesus, looking at, at chapter 2 and the first few verses there. Now the second church that Jesus addressed was the church at Smyrna. And Jesus shared, do not fear. He wanted to encourage them as they were about to face some very difficult times. Now we need to understand, difficult times for them were really difficult times. There were times of persecution, there were times of great poverty, there were times of difficulty, all faced because of what they believed. Now, we face difficult times. We, we do. But we need to understand they were under the threat of death because of their beliefs. But we need to understand that a revitalized church is a church that places faith over fear. Now, I am the first. I believe that wearing masks is appropriate, vaccinations are appropriate, um, but I believe that we have let fear drive us too often in this process. We need to place faith over fear. Last week, we looked at the third church that Jesus addressed, the revelation of the church at Pergamum, and, he, and we saw this truth, that a revitalized church is a church that embraces the truth of God's Word, that looks at these pages and says, this is important. This is who we are. This is our guide. This is our direction. And we're going to learn it. We're going to know it. We're going to love it. We're going to share it. That is what a revitalized church will do. Today we're going to look at the fourth church addressed in Revelation, the church at Thyatira, and learn this truth. A revitalized church is a church that perseveres through the difficult times. And again, the last two years have been been hard it's been hard those moments when we had to put riley in the hospital and we weren't allowed to go into the room with him i mean yes technically he was an adult he's 21 years old but that was my baby boy and i couldn't go in there right before he had to have a ostomy bag put on during that period that was hard that was difficult now, things have been made easier. They've let, I had the opportunity, because I'm a pastor, to actually visit Bob Spears this week in the hospital. He's doing uh, pretty well, and it was just great to be able to see him, to pray with him. But there was a period where we couldn't go in and see anyone. 
That's difficult. That's hard. But we need to realize that a revitalized church will persevere, maybe even grow, through the difficult times. Let's look at our text. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29, the Bible says this, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are burnished bronze. I know your works, your faith, your love and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. And I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron and when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the church or what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for I thank you for the judgment that we find there, for the, the harshness, for your righteousness, your holiness has to be upheld. And Father, I just ask that you give us. Um, the humility that we need to look into our own hearts and to say, all right, God, whatever you want, we're willing to do. Help us to do that as a church. Help us as we look at your word today to evaluate our own lives, where we're at personally and as a congregation. Father, help us to um, repent and to turn to you. Forgive us in Christ and we pray. Amen. Well, over the last two years, a new piece of language has developed in our church leader circles. As I've gone to class, as I've gone to, to meetings with other pastors and other leaders, it's this word, pre-COVID. You see, the question inevitably arises of attendance. It's one of the things that pastors do. And Well, what, how, are how many do y'all run? Or, and it kind of gives an idea of just how large the church is, how big the ministry is. Um, some guys are, you know, wanting to go, hey, but we are running this. That's never my intention, uh, but it does help me understand what the ministry looks like. Um, but that question comes up. It's one of the most visible signs of how big your church or your ministry is. How many do you run on a Sunday morning? How many come out to your worship services? There are some churches that will take time to even evaluate how many people are connecting with them online. And that's valuable, um, but we value, as our uh, call to worship said this morning, we value the gathered 
church, and we want to make sure that we're doing that. Pastor Kirk has taught us that numbers are not a clear indicator of success or failure as a ministry, but how we live out faith, hope, and love. That's how we determine if we're successful as a church. However, that doesn't change the question as it comes from other pastors. You know, as I go to um, these seminars up in Midwestern, I'll talk with men. Well, you know, what do y'all run on a Sunday morning? Again, that question comes up. And as I and other pastors answer, there is a tendency to say, well, we're currently running 60 to 75, but pre-COVID, we were running 110 to 125. And that's the truth. Across the board, churches are down in number. We may feel some solace in knowing that we're not alone in that, but it doesn't change the fact that people are walking away from faith in Christ and walking away from his church. Men, women, boys, the girls are deciding that church is not that important. They are not persevering through the difficult times. They're setting their faith in church life on a shelf and deciding this is not significant enough for them to continue. Life is hard, life is difficult, you know, that's just one more thing that I have to do. Now, over the past couple of years, I have pursued online educational opportunities in the way of free webinars and trainings. Notice I say free because, as my wife likes to call me, I'm cheap. I don't want to spend money when I don't have to spend money, and there's a lot of good training out there. Um, you know, after most of the churches had returned in gathering, person gatherings, leaders began surveying attendees at these online gatherings to find out their percentage of how many people had returned. And the truth is that many have not. You take those, those attendance data from the very first of 2020 to where we're at now, and there's about 40, 20 to 40 percent of people that just have not returned to church. It's sad, but it's true. We're now calling this the death of cultural Christianity. And for those of you who've never heard that term, cultural Christianity is that approach to church life that says, I'll go to church because society expects it. And it's beneficial to me as a cultural norm. That expectation is no longer pressing. In fact, for most, it's, well, I'm not going to go to church because people think that's stupid or that's silly or that, all of those things. So many have decided just to set aside church attendance. And in that process, our numbers have declined even more than where we were before the days of COVID-19. Here at Calvary, as I've already mentioned, we declined from 110 to 125 on a Sunday morning to running about 60 to 75. That's significant. It's something that must be addressed. Many here in our own congregation have decided not to to persevere during the difficult times. Now, there are legitimate concerns, um, health concerns, and we've, you know, navigating those, that's important for us to understand. But we need to realize that there are some that have just said, this is not a significant and important part of my life anymore. I'm just not going to come. Now, as Pastor Kirk and I have talked about this phenomenon, we've come to the conclusion that the pandemic has not caused our decline. It simply exposed the hearts of many. The weekly gathering is a rallying point for us as a believer. As it said there in Hebrews 10, verse 25, it's a time for us to gather together. We come to be fed and recharged as we head into our communities to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. 
We come together to worship and to celebrate the ways that God has worked and is working in our lives. We worship together. We come together to lift high the name of Jesus. And if that, and if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and society doesn't really expect you to go to church, then that gathering no longer holds significance to you. And so, across the board, not just here, but in other churches and other states and all parts of the country, less people are attending church now than before. Now, I mean, let me state this. I don't share these things to make some feel guilty about a decline in their regular attendance or non-attendance. I share these things to help us understand that the revitalized church perseveres through the difficult times. And while we have many that have persevered through these strange days, we definitely have not experienced numerical growth during COVID-19. There are churches that have, but we aren't one of them. And I think that's important for us to understand the reality of who we are and where we're at. As we look towards the future, we have work to do here. We have choices to make about who we're going to be as a people. And we're going to head to the, heed to the warnings and the exhortations of Revelation 2 through 3. Are we headed to a day when we'll simply close our doors because of the decline? Now, here's where I'm at. I look to a hopeful future. I look ahead to a day when we'll be focused on our community in a greater way. I look ahead to a day when our nursery will be full again and our auditorium will be buzzing with life. I anticipate the day when our baptistry will be used on a monthly and then a weekly basis. And I don't want these things for my glory or for Pastor Kirk's glory or for your glory. I want them for his glory. To get to that point, we must look to the exhortations of Scripture and apply them to where we're at. Revelation 2 through 3 gives us that type of direction again this week as we look at the church at Thyatira. Following our pattern from last week, we're going to see the commendation, the condemnation, the correction, and then the consequences as we step through this passage of Scripture and look at what Jesus had to say to this church. Because there are things that he said to this church that we may need to evaluate, is he saying to Calvary? Same as you look back at the church of Ephesus, at Smyrna, at Pergamum, and in the, the churches that are mentioned in chapter 3. So the first is the commendation. And remember, the commendation is that good thing, that positive thing, that, that pat on the back, you're doing a great job. And I would say as a commendation to you who are here today you have made church a priority. You have made Calvary a priority and your faith in Christ a priority even during these difficult days. So while some of the things that I've already shared have been, well, a bit of a downer to be perfectly honest, know that you have faithfully persevered as we've gone forward. Well, the first thing that we we'll see is that the church at Thyatira continued to mature as they persevered. This was a well, relatively young church because all of the churches were young churches. But it was a church that as they persevered, as they went through some difficult days, they still continued to grow 
and to mature as believers. Thyatira was not a major city. However, it was known for its trade guilds, especially in the fields of metalworking and textiles. Believers were clearly tempted to compromise their beliefs in order to become uh, and belong to these guilds. Societal pressures would have pushed the cultural Christian out of the church and back into the world. But the patient endurance expressed by the people of Thyatira grew them into believers that were known for their faith, for their hope, and for their love. Verse 19 says this, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. That last part is important. That means that they are growing as believers, that they are maturing as believers. My hope and prayer is that even during these difficult days of COVID and the pandemic and the hardships, and there have been some hardships, health-wise, financially, there have been difficult days. I hope that you have been growing in those moments. I look to my son, who went through all sorts of things during these past two years. And I saw him faithfully show a heart of gratitude. As nurses and doctors would come into his room, he would say, thank you for being here for me. He didn't get mad. Oh, I mean, he of course is a young man and there are those moments, but he never expressed those to the people around him. And he grew in his acts of love and gratitude towards those around him blessed me and encouraged me and helped me grow because there were parts of me that wanted to say, God, why are you doing this to my child? But God is faithful. And he used my son to speak to my heart and help me grow. So let me ask, as a church, what are we known for? What is Calvary known for? There's a, uh, it's called the Church Transformational Assessment Tool. I, you may have taken it when Pastor Kirk first came here. He talked a little bit about it. But it asks this just probing question that just messes with my brain every time I hear it. If this church was no longer here, would the community miss it? It's a hard question to think about. But what are we known for? Are we known to those all around us as a place where the gospel is shared, where acts of love and concern and care are expressed? This church at Thyatira was known for these things. Jesus mentions four areas that their works were marked by. They were marked by love. They were fully embraced the second part of the great commandment. The great commandment says to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But then as you get the last part of Matthew 22, it says, and the second is like it, that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. We're to love God, and we're to love people. And the people of Thyatira knew that. They understood that. They grew in that, and as they served, as they loved on their community, and they loved on one another in that process, God was doing great things. The second is that they were marked by faith. They had placed their faith in Jesus, and as they worked, that faith was evident. It was real. 
Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us about faith, where it says that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith was real in their life. If you look in that whole chapter of Hebrews 11, you, you learn how faith worked itself out in all of these men and women's lives. It was uh, the great hall of faith. And you can read there and see. But this church was marked by love. It was marked by faith. It was marked by service. It was marked by patient endurance. You know, have we endured as a church? Have you endured as a believer? God never said that this life was going to be easy. In fact, in most of the time when we look at Scripture, like what we find in James 1, 2 through 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. There's no place that I can find where all of our pain, all of our trials are going to be taken away while we're here on this planet. There will come a day when we'll enjoy our heavenly reward, but that day isn't today. So as we face those things, as we go through the trials, as we go through the difficulties, we want the world to see that we're Christ followers. And that we count it all joy as we endure. So the church at Thyatira continued to mature as they persevered. They were growing <coughs> as they went along. And as they endured, as they did these things, they grew in their faith. And I don't know about you, but it's been hard to think about growing in my faith as these past two years have been here. A lot of us have, myself included, kind of shifted in the survival mode. We think about what has happened these past two years. All of a sudden, it's 2022. Wasn't it just 2020 a moment ago? But God calls us to grow in our relationship with him and to grow in our Christian life throughout all of our living days. Jesus commended this church here. He celebrated them. He gave them the pat on the back. But, as we know, that wasn't the end of the story. Because as we look at the next part of this passage, in verses 20 through 21, we see this, that the church at Thyatira continued to allow false teaching in their midst as they persevered. Now, last week we talked a little bit about this, and it is a similar issue that they were dealing with. False teaching was going on in their midst, but it was very focused on this one person. Verses 20 and 21, the Bible says this, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. This person, this Jezebel, and whether that was her uh, um, a name to symbolize who she was, or whether her name was specifically Jezebel, it's a name that brings about thoughts of, of exactly what it described, sin. And this woman was there in their midst, and Jesus was condemning them and saying, this is something 
that has to be fixed. As we think back to last week, the same sort of idea. If we have someone in our church, in our congregation, that is teaching wrong things, then we have to correct that. We don't just move them to a different classroom, a smaller classroom, and, or let's put them with the kids where they can't do too much damage. I mean, I've heard those things over the years. But that's absolutely the last place that you want to put that. I want my, our most sound teachers teaching our children and our students here. Because what happens if you put the wrong person in with children? Five years, ten years later, they're carrying with them a lot of bad theology that's going to impact them as adults. It's going to impact the church as a whole for their future. And so there was nothing that they could do. They had to, I want to say get rid of her. That sounds very ominous. This woman could no longer be leading. She had to be stopped. And Jesus was condemning what was going on. So there was the condemnation. They had committed them, saying, you're doing a great job. You are marked by love, by faith, by service, by patient endurance. You're doing some great things. But here is this person, this woman, who is teaching wrong things, that is leading people astray, that is bringing others into sin. We need a change at this church. Things have to be different. So we get to the correction. The correction is this, that the church at Thyatira needed to expunge false teaching and continue to persevere. So we find at the very beginning, they talked about as marked by patient endurance. This idea of endurance is this lasting, it's very closely connected to perseverance. But in the midst of all of this is this woman who is causing all sorts of problems. Verses 24 through 25, we, we find out some of this correction. They, he tells them this. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. It's important that they had to remove this teacher, remove this person who was causing the wrong influence among the people. You know, if somebody came in and wanted to be a part of us, and one of the reasons that we have a membership class, membership orientation, to say, this is who we are, and this is what we believe. But if someone just comes into our congregation and then starts leading others astray from the words of God, the, the biblical truth, the, the theology that we know that is true and correct, they cannot stay because they're leading others away from a deeper relationship with God. So the church at Thyatira needed to expunge this false teaching, this false teacher to remove her and to continue to persevere. As it said in verse 25, to hold fast what you have until I come. Again, Jesus' words speaking here. He's telling the church to hold fast. Not just to, to stay and lament and to just be, but to hold fast to the teaching. The teachings of the Word of God tell us to share the love of Jesus, tells us to share the message, the saving message of Jesus. So as we look at this, we, we've seen the commendation, we've seen the condemnation, we've seen the correction. What were the consequences of this situation? 
Well, the th church at Thyatira would experience victory if they would persevere. We, as a church, will experience victory if we persevere. Verses 21 through 28, there's a lot of things that are talked about here. But there is a great picture of judgment starting in verse 18. The very beginning of our passage said to the angel of the church of Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. <coughs> Those are images of strength. Those are images of judgment. And that's who Jesus can be. We need to understand that. We love the concept of understanding that what Jesus did was the most loving thing in the world. He gave his life for you and for me. And we can accept the free gift of salvation because of what Jesus did. But we also need to understand there is judgment. We have a holy and a righteous God. And the words here, with eyes like flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, point in that direction goes on with the consequences in verse 21 through 23. The consequences for this false teacher were death and destruction. said, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I'll throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works." And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Those are harsh and heavy words, but in my mind, wouldn't it be easier if God just handled false teachers that way? Took them out. I mean, that's, that's harsh, that's heavy. But you know what? It would be much easier to say, that's a false teacher. And we would have a very clear understanding of who God is and what we needed to do. And during those early days, that early church, that was important for them to see. We don't want to wish death on anyone. But this woman had refused to follow God and was leading others away from him. So there was the judgment for this false teacher. Now, for the, those that would persevere, as we read verses 24 and 25, um, I'll start in verse 26. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron and when, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star." He who has an ear, let him hear what the churches says to the spirit, or to the spirit says to the churches. I think it is so important for us to understand that we have a conquering victory. If we follow, if we persevere, if we um, embrace what God has for us and what He wants for us as a church and as individuals, we have victory. We need to embrace that. And understand that that's what God is calling us to do. So, we've seen these things. We've seen the, the condemnation. We've seen the commendation. We've seen the correction that needs to happen. We've seen the consequences. And they are severe consequences that happened with this prophetess. 
that she was going to be taken out, those that committed sin with her were going to be taken out, and that her children were going to be taken out. There is that powerful effect of sin. It affects not just us. It affects those that are around us. It affects those generationally beyond us. It is important that we follow God in all things. But it mentions those that were holding true, holding fast to the Word of God, holding fast to the teachings that he had. There was victory coming for those people and for us. We have victory. We have a home in heaven. We have an eternal state with the Father. And he calls us to follow him today as we go forward. So, will we listen to Jesus and make changes as needed? It can be hard when we've fallen into patterns, but God calls us to listen to his word and to obey. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is he saying to you individually? What is he saying to us as a church? Is there, are there changes that we need to make here at Calvary because of what the Word says here? How do we obey here at Calvary? Well, in the way of application, I have three points for us to look at very briefly. Number one, Calvary must continue to be Word and Gospel-centered as we persevere. That means being involved like with things like faithful men and faithful women where we study the Word, where we look at that, where we spend time in Sunday school learning from the Word, where we spend time gathered for worship. But most importantly, and we don't stress this enough, where you spend time alone in your home reading the Word, embracing the Word, memorizing the Word, so that it means something to you personally. We need to be word and gospel-centered as we persevere. We don't go to Twitter. We don't go to Facebook for answers. We go to the Word. False teaching must be driven out. The Bible must be our only guide for life. I had my, my grandmother's ex-husband. That's the best description. He was a part of our congregation when we were planting Haven uh, Baptist Church. Um, he was a bit of a mess of a man. He just was. Um, loved Charlie, wanted the best for him, but he was a bit of a mess. And the problem that he had was he had some bad theology that he carried with him and said, but that's what my grandmother told me. Well, your grandmother can tell you anything she wants. Your mama can tell you anything you want. You could, your Sunday school can teach you, tell you what they want. But if it doesn't what the Bible says, then that's wrong, and changes must be made. So we must continue to be word and gospel-centered as we persevere. Number two, Calvary must be marked by faith, hope, and love as we persevere. We cannot simply put our heads down and stubbornly just exist here at this church, in this place, in this neighborhood. We must be motivated by love and forgiveness that we have received through Christ and allow that to shape every aspect of our ministry. God's calling us to do that. We do not exist for ourselves. Let me repeat that. We do not exist for ourselves. We exist for the glory of God and for the love of others. That's why we're here as a congregation. Yes, do we love getting together? Do we love 
back when we could actually have fellowship times and be together and just love on one another. Yes, we love that, and God has provided that. We're here as a fellowship of believers, but we don't exist just for that. We exist for the glory of God, and we exist for the love of others. Calvary must be marked by faith, hope, and love as we persevere. And finally, Calvary must persevere during the difficult times. I'm hopeful that some of our hardest days are behind us. But we aren't promised that. I want to be promised that. I think you probably want to be promised that. In fact, we are often promised that we are going to suffer as we follow Christ. However, God has called us to count it all as joy as we endure difficulty for him. God has called us to be a church that perseveres during the difficult times. That is perhaps not as encouraging as you want to hear this morning. But it's the truth. As we face difficult days, God has called us to persevere. God has called us to endure. God has called us to be his people here at this place so that people can see the hope of Jesus Christ in a very dark and difficult day and world. That's my prayer, is that we will be that people here at Calvary, here in Fayetteville, here in Northwest Arkansas, and that God will use us in big ways as we go forward. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for, we thank you for the judgment we find there. And while it's hard to hear, hard to understand, we want to lean on you. We want to trust you, and we just ask that you help us to be your people. Father, forgive us. Speak to our hearts and help us always lean on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.